0: Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. So glad that you're tuning in with me once again here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I just love this time that we have together. You know, just recently we were looking at some of the numbers and seeing how uh, we are spreading in different parts of the globe, which is exciting. More people in Scotland, got people in Africa, Europe, all throughout the United States of America. So I just want to thank you for your support, for your prayers, for your continual, you know, just prayers that this ministry platform, this Bible study podcast will continue to grow all over The world, Because our prayer here at Stand Strong in Ministries is that we produce content, whether it's through my speaking, uh, my books, this podcast in particular, other avenues of videos, that people understand who Jesus Christ is, that they would come to know him as our Lord and Savior. And many Christians, particularly you, my friends, listening right here, right now, no matter if you're in your car, you're at home, uh, you're working out, whatever the case may be, uh, that we together— would stand strong in our faith, that we'd stand firm, that we would understand more of God and his word and the importance that his word has in our lives. So today we are going to be looking at John chapter 10. Now, if you've missed any previous podcast, as always, check us out at StandStrongMinistries.org. Click on podcast, whatever platforms you guys have, like that SoundCloud is up there with our notes, Google Play. We're going to be uh, putting this podcast on Stitcher pretty soon. So if that's uh, one of the avenues that you've used for various different other podcasts. And up to this point, obviously, you haven't been able to use it here for Stand Strong in the Word podcast, but pretty soon uh, that will be available. So, uh, you know, check back a couple times, maybe put a search in there. Uh, we've been talking to some of our engineer people and we'll be putting that up shortly. So stay tuned to that. So last week we talked in John chapter 9, podcast 70. We looked at the blind man that Jesus healed outside the temple So we continue our study here now in John chapter 10 and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 21 and the title today is The Perfect Model of a Good Shepherd. Now to bring up to speed, if you remember, as I mentioned, Jesus was outside the gates, right? Where people would be heading to the temple in John 9 verse 8 and there was a blind man that was there and Jesus, remember, spat in the ground, put mud on his eyes and said, go and be healed if you go to the pool of Siloam and the man does it. Now, when... There was a ruckus. People were identifying that this or you know, questioning whether or not this was indeed the man who was blind outside the temple. And many people started to verify that it was, it was him. Of course, he was saying that it was him. The Pharisees heard about it. They brought him into the synagogue and the parents of the man were asked to be there to testify whether or not this is the man. You see in verses 18 through 39. And slowly but surely, the man continued to side with Jesus and the Pharisees excommunicated him. And so later in that day, Jesus finds the healed man. And then the healed man finally realizes who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a prophet. He's the Messiah. So he confesses him as Lord. And then at that point, the Pharisees who followed the man in John 9, verse 40, ask this question to Jesus, are we also blind? So that's where we pick things up now, because in John chapter 10, Jesus directs this message, particularly to the Pharisees. Now, let me read you this commentary, and then we'll jump right in and read the context of John chapter 10. This commentary writes, In this context, the healed man is one of the sheep who hears Jesus' voice. Those who expelled him from the synagogue are compared to thieves, robbers, and wolves, and Jesus is the good shepherd. By putting the man out of the synagogue, Israel's leaders treated him as not part of Israel, In light of the Old Testament background, however, however, Jesus, as the good shepherd corresponding to Yahweh in the Old Testament, affirms that the man really is one of his sheep. That is to say, that he does belong to God's people. Meanwhile, Jesus portrays some of Israel's leaders in his day as being like the leaders of Israel who were condemned as exploitive shepherds in the Old Testament. Now, I do want to say this before I jump into the passage that this particular lesson today is the distinction between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. Now, we know Jesus Christ, in this case, contextually and theologically, he is the good shepherd. He is our overseer of our souls. No one takes that role. We play that to some degree as a father in our home or as an elder pastor in the church that we are overseers. We see this in Hebrews chapter 13. But ultimately, he is the chief shepherd right? He is our savior. He is the, the final judge. So when we're reading through this and we're looking at the case that Jesus sets forth, that him being the good shepherd and how he loves the sheep. And then we look at the people he's saying this to, I want you to put this in perspective of your own life, what church you attend, the kind of shepherds that you have in your life. Now we know that God has put people in our lives, and we are to be grateful for that, but we're also be discerning. where to test the spirits. We're to hold fast to that, which is good. I've been doing this for over 20 years, and I've partnered with a lot of people, and they come to find out they were hypocrites, or they're living a double life, or they weren't really saved. But for the most part, people are saved in the ministry and are trying to do the best to their ability. But oftentimes we get sidetracked. Oftentimes we try to do things in our own strength. Sometimes our motive is not aligned to the word of God and being directed by the Holy Spirit. And so you see a lot of bad outcomes, certain behaviors that are not honorable to the Lord. And so I want you to consider this because it's important that we as Christians are to be shepherds of people that God has placed in our life, but we're also to be under people who are following the example of Christ as being that good shepherd because Jesus regularly in his ministry, as you and I know, as we've been going through a teaching here in the gospels, that there are a lot of bad shepherds. And when I say bad shepherds, I mean false shepherds, because that's what Jesus talks about here in John chapter 10. So I say that because oftentimes we get confused. So many times in my travels, many people come to me and they put out scenarios or situations and say, hey, this is happening in my church, or I'll talk to a pastor. I was just talking to a pastor actually the other day, and I'm going to be part of this big network and to go teach and help these pastors stand strong. And as we were discussing and talking, he was sharing with me just how complacent a lot of the people in his network, a lot of these pastors have become and kind of the divide. And and that's common and, and that's sad and it's unfortunate. And yet here this pastor, he's crying out, he's trying to shepherd these shepherds, right? And that's sometimes a difficult task. But I think we can't get so sidetracked. We have to be looking at Jesus Christ ultimately as our good shepherd. But we're not to abuse the passage to say, Well, he's my shepherd. I don't need any other shepherd in my life, because the Bible is very clear that we need accountability. And we need to be turning to people that God has placed in our lives to help us in our spiritual growth. So let's make sure we have that biblical perspective. And so as you look at this text today, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know if you're in a good church, a bad church, or no church at all. But I hope that this time that we have together, that you can really examine your life right now in the church world and be able to, when you're done with this passage of Scripture with me today, that you're able to identify The good shepherds in your life and the bad shepherds. Now, obviously we want to be that good shepherd because we want to follow the example of Christ. So with that being said, let me jump right here in John chapter 10, beginning of verse one, Jesus writes here, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him. The gatekeeper opens So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I will lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Right? So let's jump right into this text and break it down and do some exploratory measures to fully grasp as best to our ability what Jesus in essence is saying here in John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21. So if you look back in verse 1, notice right out the gate when they asked the question John 940. Are we blind as well? Jesus is saying, here's the truth. Literally, that's when he says, truly, truly he's saying, I'm not lying. You can authenticate this. This is not a lie. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, literally the gate, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. So right out the gate, what is Jesus? No pun intended. What is Jesus saying here? What he's doing is, first, he's using this analogy of herding sheep to differentiate between the Pharisees and himself. Now, remember, Jesus just healed a man who was blind, and the Pharisees did not accept it. They excommunicated him. Then they follow the man who finds Jesus, and we saw in Scripture in Greek, he gets on his knees and he cries out and he says, You are the Lord. So what Jesus is saying here now is, You guys are like thieves and robbers. You do things to manipulate the situation, in this case, the law, and you abuse it, and you don't really care for these people. So yes, you want to say that you're blind? You're more than blind. You're a thief and a robber. Now, in the Old Testament, remember, shepherd and sheep was often used to portray the relationship between God and Israel. So what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, you don't have a relationship with these people the way that God had with Israel. You think you do, but when you go back to Psalm 23, when you go to Psalm 80, verse 1, Isaiah 40, 10 through 11, that's not the kind of relationship that these religious leaders had with the people like Jesus is having with the people. Matter of fact, Jesus is also alluding back to prophets like Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah, he condemned the rulers. He condemned the political and the spiritual leaders of Judah for being bad shepherds. Jeremiah twenty three verse one says, "Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture," declares the Lord. So Jesus is saying, "You Pharisees, you're false shepherds. You excommunicated this man who was healed from blindness because he believed in me, and you reject me." That's in John nine twenty four through thirty four. So when Jesus continues this now in verses two and three, and says, "But he who enters by the door," so he's going to give. Remember, he's going to differentiate. He's saying, you guys, you don't enter the sheepfold by the door, by the gate. You climb another way, meaning you're developing your own system, your own way of what you think is right. But then what Jesus is saying, he says, but he who enters by the door, that is the shepherd. Because he says here to him, the gatekeeper, that just means the doorkeeper, the under shepherd opens. And not only that, but that type of a shepherd, the sheep know his voice. He calls out his sheep. He knows the sheep by name because he leads them. He cares for them. You see, shepherds would place their flock in a sheep pen or a sheep fold, which was basically just a walled enclosure. And the other sheep in the fold at overnight would stay there. And what, what would happen is the gatekeeper, or in this case, you know, the shepherd, he would watch over the sheep from that entry point that he led them in from. And now in the morning, the shepherd would enter through the gate and call out in their unique voice, and that particular name given to the sheep to come to the shepherd. Because remember, sometimes there was multiple shepherds, and so there's different sheep, and so they would have to herd them. And the way they were able to do that is in their unique voice and that particular name. What Jesus is saying is, you don't know your people. You don't even care to know your people because you're not a true shepherd. Now, again, pastorally, when I pause and, and I look at this particular passage and I weigh it and I think of many people that have crossed my paths in the ministry. And I think, Lord, if I really truly loved your people this way, even more so, I oftentimes think, what do people think of me as a shepherd? Do they see me as that? Because that's a gift that God has given me and I want to use it for his glory, not to my own advantage like the Pharisees, But I want to herd people, care for people, lead people the way that God has clearly intended us in Scripture, particularly spiritual leaders, right? You and I both crave that. Uh, Even when I've played that role in many people's lives, I've had people in my life who play that role for me. And it's a beautiful thing when you see people execute, when they live it out. And when you come to those people in, in points of crisis and in periods of joy and celebration, when there's challenges to come. And so Jesus, you can imagine this setting. He's staring at these people who are so blinded and he just did this incredible miracle and they're still in denial. So then here in verses four through six, he says, when he is brought out of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So now let's pause. What did the man who was healed from blindness do when he was excommunicated from the building? He went on his way and he came to Jesus and Jesus he knew Jesus's voice because remember he was blind before so he didn't know what Jesus looked like but he knew his voice and Jesus used it so when Jesus I guarantee when Jesus spoke to this man after he was healed and he was excommunicated the man recognized the Jesus voice and then the, the, what did the man do he followed Jesus as lord he says but a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, I love this sometimes because John would insert these little commentaries throughout his gospel. He says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus' meaning here is that there are many false messiahs and there's only one good shepherd. You see this clearly in Ezekiel 34, 20 through 24. I highly recommend that you read Ezekiel 34, 20 through 24, he's the true Messiah. But of course, they didn't understand this because they rejected it. But Jesus doesn't just stop here. He also refers to himself as the door. Notice here in verses 7 through 9, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves, meaning cunning. They're cunning and they're robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. He says it again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Just literally in Greek means they'll have active living and find pasture. And that's just translated in the Greek as satisfaction. So Jesus isn't just the good shepherd. He's also the door. Again, not the band, okay? But what does he mean by this? We can understand the shepherd aspect, but what does he mean by the door? Well, what a shepherd would do when they would have the sheep go into the sheepfold is that a shepherd would lay his body across the entryway. And this is a way to protect the sheep from wolves and from thieves, at the same time offering safety and nourishment. You see this particularly in Psalm 23. And when Jesus is saying this, he's contrasting, again, remember, to the Pharisees who are thieves and robbers, They're false teachers who lead people astray. And here the shepherd is leading the sheep into a safe haven where they will get nourishment. And meanwhile, they can rest because he's going to be there as the door to protect people to get in. Now, one commentary writes, the Palestinian shepherd commonly slept in the single opening to the fold through which wild animals might attack. As the door... Jesus protects his own by placing his body between the sheep and their enemies. The good shepherd guides his sheep to pasture, concerned not only that they have life, but that they have it to the full. So these different analogies about the shepherd and about being the door, all of it points to Jesus saying he is there to protect his people, just like God did to Israel in the Old Testament. But just as God did that for the people of Israel, false teachers will rise up, Jeremiah prophesied against him. Ezekiel prophesied against him. And now Jesus, who is in the spirit of Elijah, is prophesying against him. So here in verse 10, a famous verse, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, this is in conjunction to Satan. So in essence, Jesus is pointing their activity, how they shepherd, as that of Satan. He says, but I came, here's the contrast between false shepherds and good shepherds, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So remember, the responsibility of a shepherd isn't just to watch over sheep, but is to give them a better life. And then he stresses again in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Then he says it again, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So not only up to this point, as he talked about protecting, guiding, and nourishing the sheep, but now he talks about laying down his life for the sheep. Now remember, in contrast, if you go back, To verse 1, from the very beginning, he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Then he talks about the hirelings, people that don't care about the sheep. They're just paid to look after the sheep. But when danger comes, he says here in verse 12 and 13, what do they do? They flee. And what happens? The wolf will snatch them and scatter them. And he flees, the man flees because he only cares about the money, not the sheep. So Jesus gives this distinction again between a shepherd and a hired hand. They're not just a false teacher, but they're doing it for the money. Now, no doubt the people understood that when Jesus referred himself as a good shepherd, he was pointing back to the role that Ezekiel and others fulfilled in the Old Testament. Go back to Ezekiel 34, 23, as I mentioned before. So you see, my friend, these are divine claims of Jesus to the people. He's explaining explicitly who he is, that he came not only to protect the people, to heal them, to restore them, but that he will offer his life for the sheep. One commentary writes, Israel had many false prophets, selfish kings, and imitation messiahs. The flock of God suffered constantly from their abuse. And the commentary gives references to this. Jeremiah ten, twenty one through twenty-two, Jeremiah twelve, verse ten, Zechariah eleven, four through seventeen. And then notice again, Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know, he says, literally in Greek, intimate knowledge, my own, and my own know me, just as a father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So what Jesus is saying here in verses 14 through 16 is that the Gentiles who are, remember, different fold right now, that right now he's in the process of uniting them, the Gentiles and the Jews, into one flock. He'll do this through the substitutionary atonement. And that's what he's talking about here. He is the one true shepherd. He's the one who not only protects his people, but he also lays down his life for them so that they can live. That's the ultimate sacrifice that leads to eternal life. You see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Romans 5, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. But let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, Beginning in verse 24, Peter writes, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive. In the spirit, so here we get a glimpse of the substitutionary atonement in verses 14 through 16. And the church, you and I, right now, as we're listening to this podcast, we get to bathe in the beauty and splendor of the Godhead that's demonstrated here. Father sends his son, the son says, I must go in order for the spirit to come, and we see the beauty of eternal life as a result. And then, here in verses 17 through 18, we see the beauty of the relationship that the father and the son have. The, he's, Jesus says, Here. The reason the father loves me is because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. So here he's, again, he's predicting, he's forecasting what's going to come. And that's to be the resurrection that sin will not hold him down. He will take charge of this because he receives it from his father. So this is a beautiful description of the intimacy between the Godhead, the people of the Godhead, but also this self-sacrifice. Now, as a result here, we're told in verse 19, there's a huge outrage. Once again, a huge division. Now the Jews get it. They understand that this was an utter rebuke that Jesus had in front of them. These are false teachers. Go look back in the Old Testament. You know the false teachers that the prophets talked about. He's mentioning it to them, and there he's saying, you're those false teachers. Now, many of them, of course, in response to this in verse 20, uh, was that he has a demon. He's insane. Now, remember, this is a very common argument. We see this over and over again. John 7, verse 20, John 8, 48, John 8, 52, and they're doing it again. Rather than fall down in total repentance and brokenness, they attack Jesus. While others here in verse 21 said, how on earth can this man be oppressed by a demon if in fact he heals people who are blind? So again, they're referring back to the man who was healed from his blindness in John chapter nine, and they're realizing that Jesus couldn't be demonized. He had to have the power from God to deliver people from their ailments. So they see the contradiction of what they're claiming once again, that Jesus has a demon. No, in fact, they're the ones that were possessed. He said that in John 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's associating their ministry to that of Satan's. So, my friends, that's it. That's John chapter 10. We see Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd. We see the Pharisees, who are the false shepherds. We see the open rebuke that Jesus has with them. And we see this divide, this division. We still, we still see that today. We still see people who will reject the gospel because they're blinded. So, my last word to you as we close out this episode is think about you as a shepherd. Are you a good shepherd? Or are you a bad shepherd? But also, consider the people that you don't just associate with, but consider the leadership that you are under. Are they good shepherds? Are they good overseers of your soul and your family's soul? And also to mention, because of the great challenges that are before many of the people that God has raised up to be spiritual leaders, pray for them. We're told that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we are to pray for those who are in leadership and we are to imitate the faith of those people that God has placed in our lives. So I pray this passage has been a blessing to you, my friends. I pray that you've been emboldened, that you've been inspired, that you've been convicted and motivated. And I just pray you go out there and you be the good shepherd that God has called you to be. Now, until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.